Everybody stand with me, please. Wow. Thanks so much for being here this weekend. God is good. And all the time. Well, and God has been especially good to us this weekend by sending us who I believe is one of the greatest visionary Christian leaders of our generation. He's been involved in founding organizations that have, well, had a transformational impact, not only in our nation, but around the world. He's the author of best-selling books, New York Times best-selling books, like The Prayer of Jabez. In fact, he's got great books in the back, like You Were Born for This. Great books afterwards that will, will help you to grow and find your purpose in life. And not only that, but, but today, in our generation, right now, what he's focusing on is helping to start Bible colleges all around the world. In Africa, China, there are over 50,000 students that have been enrolled right now in the Bible colleges that our guest has started. Let's give God praise. That's what you call visionary impact. Well, he's had a shaping influence on the life of our church, and he has been a great friend and mentor to me. He's got a powerful word for you. If you're ready for a word that absolutely will change your life, you know, we ought to post a, a sign, you know, on the outside of the church that says, warning, coming to church could be hazardous for your health because God may change your life in the best kind of way, amen? God really may do that today. I want you to give a great big welcome back home. West Coast home to Dr. Bruce. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Good morning. Please be seated. It's great to be back here. I was here in 2010 and, and actually fell in love with the church. I did. I've spoken in lots of churches, but man, this is one wonderful group of people. It's great to be here with Ken and Kurt and all the rest of the team and Jim and... Um, Rick and a lot of the women that are leading the church. Well, this morning, I want you to kind of sit back, and if, if it's all right with you, I'm going to share some of God's secrets with you today of how God works in the lives of everyone in leading us through stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and stage five of spiritual growth. These go in order. They're the same for everybody. What everybody goes through in these stages is the same. But it's going to be like somebody told you a secret. And you're going to say to yourself as you hear this, you're going to say, oh man, that really explains my life. I finally understand what's going on. I want to talk to you about a topic called consecration. Consecration means you are sold out to God. Your heart is. You are loyal to him. You want to serve him. And if he asks you to do something, you typically say yes. And from the point of salvation until as far as you can go. And I want you to see this. But on the screen are, is a verse I want you to see that Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord purpose that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. I'm going to ask you at the end of this service if you want to consecrate yourself today more than you ever have before. Because you can have a breakthrough when you understand this. Most people have no idea what God does. They feel like there's no pattern 
There's no steps. But once you understand the steps, you actually have a real clarity about what's going on in your life. And I want to show you what those are. But here's a couple points about what consecration is. Number one, consecration means to devote, to dedicate, to deepen commitment. Consecration is a matter of our heart and reveals the level of our loyalty to God. Consecration is the cause, the reason, that lets us have a close and obedient relationship to God. And consecration should deepen over time and results in blessings from God. So consecration is the degree of our unconditional surrender to God. And we're going to ask for more of that from you or invite you to through this. Now, the first stage of consecration is our salvation. Stage one is right here. And something takes place that you don't know about at your salvation that God does for you but doesn't tell you he's doing it. And the whole issue of growing in your loyalty and love and your growth for God is coming to grips with what he did. As you know, the Bible's written in the New Testament in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew. And then we translate those Greek words, which have a very specific meaning, as close as we can to English. But oftentimes, we don't have a way of saying it the same in English, and we can miss what it actually says. So I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek, if you don't mind. Let's take a look at point number one. Stage one, salvation, is the basis of all consecration. Point number one, I have three points. Salvation is the basis, uh, excuse me, salvation is the basis of consecration as Jesus bought, he bought, he bought us. And that orange agorazo is the Greek word, and I put it in English letters, agorazo. That comes from a, a noun, which is agora, which is the marketplace, like a, like a, a mall. And the agora would have an open field and would have little shops around the sides. And people would go to the agora and they'd buy something that was agorazo. You are buying in the agora. And what this verse is saying is shocking. That God bought us. Look at the verse. Or don't you know something? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is inside of you. Whoa, this is my body. And when you accept Christ, somebody moves into your body next to you. I'm not equal to my body, I live in my body. And when I die, my body goes in the grave and I continue. And at point of salvation, somebody moves into the same house that I'm in. I have a roommate called the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to this verse. The Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. The Holy Spirit was sent down by God the Father into you. And look at these next few words. And you are not your own. What do you mean I'm not my own? Of course I'm my own. I'm me. For, here's the reason you're not your own. You were bought. You were bought. And it cost God a price. Since you've been bought, think about what you're hearing. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He bought you all. And when a slave was for sale, you know, right here, and people would come and buy a slave, they would bid on him or her, and they bought the person, all of the person. 
And you're hearing, maybe for the first time, something you had no idea of, that you've been bought by God. Let's go this a little bit deeper to point number two. Point number two. Salvation through Christ's shed blood made us his purchased possession. And that's the Greek word, peripoesis. But you are a chosen nation. Not you should be. You are. You are something. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Because you're a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. He wants you to go serve him by telling other people about him. Do you know what that means? Peripoesis. This watch is my per my personal possession. I took something in the agora of a mall and I bought this watch. It's mine. That's what peripoesis means. Something you bought. You mean God actually bought me? Yes, he did. You mean he owns me? Yes, he does. And because he owns you, he has every right to send his spirit to live inside of you. Now, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to, uh, you know, when you first met, you first accept Christ as your personal Savior, you're not friends with him. <laughs> you don't have a 10-year relationship with him. You just met him. And he saved you like a person on a wreck in the freeway, and he, your car's on fire, and a person reaches in and pulls you out and saves you. That's who Jesus is at this stage. You're not sold out to him. You're thankful that he saved you. And the point of all of this is that your heart would move in loyalty and love to the person who pulled you out of the fiery car. You're not sold out here. You're thankful. And the point of the rest of the life is since he bought you, how are you, how are you feeling about that? How do you feel about somebody else buying you? Will you kind of agree with that? How far will you agree? And when he asks you to do something as his purchased possession, do you say yes or do you say no? Do you fight him? Or, and how much do you pay attention to what your master wants you to do? Are, are you living your life according to what you want and the goals you want? Or are you paying attention to what the master who purchased you wants you to achieve for him? Just making sense? Now, what does the Bible call a person who's on stage one? Take a look at the next passage. Salvation stage one describes a believer as a child or baby. And you can remain a baby stunted. You stop growing for years. There are many people in... In America, who are born again, who stay as a baby. They never go on much to stage two. Look at what the verse says. For though by this time, you, a believer, ought to be teachers. I don't mean a professional teacher or a preacher, but you ought to, the Bible teaches, after you're saved, by this time, you ought to be teaching the Bible to people who need to know something. Young kids or somebody that just became a believer and you're a little bit further along and you're teaching them. So that's one of the telltale signs if you're out of stage one. 
By this time, you ought to be teachers, you need, but you need somebody else to teach you again. I've got to go back again to the beginning, the first principles. You have come to need milk, and you're supposed to want solid food, which is further down the line, but you're not. Everyone who partakes only in milk is a babe. That's what you are here. But God wants to pull you through stage two, invite you to stage three, invite you to stage four, and wonder what you do about stage five. And so the way that he does this is stage number two, which is called self. Before you are born again, you don't have anybody else in you but you. So you do what you want. But when you're saved, the second you're born again, God the Father and, and Jesus, both of them, send the Spirit into, into, inside of you, next to you. And the Spirit, <laughs> one of his goals is to help you choose to submit to the person who owns you and to obey him. And therefore, the battle is very, very hard. It is, you've been living for yourself. It doesn't mean you're selfish. It just means you do what you want. And now there's somebody else who has a different wanter. He wants to do this. The Spirit does, and you want to do this because you, you've been used to doing what you wanted. Now there's somebody else who has a different agenda than you do. And therefore, this thing goes back and forth, and there is struggle. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sure. If you don't know about this, you are really stuck at the beginning. So... Let's take a look at what the scripture says. Stage two, self struggles to submit to Christ. That's what this is all about. Consecration is difficult because the Holy Spirit and yourself have opposing desires. You desire this, he desires this. It doesn't mean your desire is sinful. It just is different. And so the verse that I want you to see is, Jesus, excuse me, Paul says, Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh here means yourself, not your body. You. For the flesh lusts. That's a Greek word which means strong desire. Your flesh desires things that are opposed to the spirit, against the spirit. And at the same time, the spirit has strong desires against you. No, I want you to do this. No, I want to do this. Don't talk to me anymore. I Next verse goes, and these are contrary to one another. It's just like the football teams lining up at scrimmage, and the team is here, and you're here, and you are opposing each other, and guess what? Your and my flesh never gets better. It doesn't. It'll always be against, because it wants its thing, and the spirit you want your flesh to say yes to the spirit so the spirit's in rulership more and more and your flesh doesn't get its way that much. You understand what the selfish is? So what's going on here is God sends you opportunities to make a choice. He does. He sends something that he makes clear he wants you to do that you don't want to do. So you're here and the spirit's here and the spirit makes clear to you, I want you to do this. And you don't want to do this. But what the Spirit wants and what Jesus wants is for you to say no to yourself and yes to him. That's an act of loyalty. And every time you do that, where you say yes instead of no, 
you do this. When you go home, practice that. <laughs> That's moving in this direction, becoming more and more consecrated to Christ. Because you want this, you want this. You don't what he wants. But you decide, I am going to put myself down and I am picking his way. That's loyalty. So this issue in here then is filled with tests. Take a look at this next passage. Consecration is accelerated by God's tests. For the righteous, God tests the hearts and the minds. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. What does the Bible call a person who's stuck in number two? Look at this. Number three. Consecration describes the believer as carnal. You're not carnal in stage one. You're a baby. But a person who stays in this struggle for years and years, you're called carnal. What does this mean? And I, brethren, he's talking to Christians, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but to carnal people, you, you've stayed as a babe, even though you've grown in the struggles that you've been saying, you've been fighting God. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive solid food. I can't teach you the real truth. I, you're still not able to do it. You're still carnal. See the word still? You're still carnal. A baby isn't carnal. A baby is immature. This is more mature, but carnal. What does carnal mean? Carnal means you keep choosing you. You go the way of the flesh. as a habit of life. You don't do what God wants you to do. That's carnal. Non-Christians are not carnal. Non-Christians are unconverted. When you're born again, you can choose to be of the flesh and be carnal, or be more and more of the spirit, and you're spiritual. So this whole issue here, back to the verse, for there are envy, strife, divisions among you. Look at these words. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Well, I am a man. Yeah, but you're acting as if you don't have the almighty dwelling inside of you. You're still acting as an unconverted person. You're living of the flesh, and you're acting as a mere man because mere men are filled with envy and strife and division, and a person who walks with the Spirit does not envy. Love doesn't envy. But if you live this way, you're carnal. How long can you be carnal as a Christian? The rest of your life. And there are many people who are carnal the whole, their whole life. They will not submit to God. You don't lose your salvation if you're carnal. You lose the joy and all the victories and the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give to you. You lose it. You forfeit it. So this issue is the one that you must deal, you must deal with. Now, here's what's supposed to happen. We start out enthusiastic because we're born again and we understand these things for the first time. And then we pass some tests, and then we slide back to the old way, self. And we began to fight in this struggle and say no to God time after time. And we kind of get stuck wandering in the wilderness, just 
not progressing. And the Bible kind of closes up to us. And when we pray, we feel like the prayers bounce against the ceiling because they do. And you hardly ever get a yes. You know why you don't get a yes? Because you keep saying no to him. Why, why should he say yes to you? And your heart gets hard. You grieve the spirit. You quench the spirit. You resist the spirit. You rebel against the spirit. You lock them in a box. And you never find out the joy of your salvation. You don't. And when you hear other people tell stories about what God in their life does in their life, you say, come on, that's a lie. That never happens to me. And you don't know the reason it doesn't happen isn't because that person is one of God's favorites. God has no favorites. It's because you keep putting him down. So if it comes along a time that you move from saying no all the time to yes more often, yes, Go talk to that person. Oh, what am I going to say to them? I don't care, but he told me to go talk to them. You go talk to them. Oh, that's a yes. I was out yesterday walking around, and the Lord pointed to somebody and said, <clears throat> that's in his way of saying, go help that person. And I said, have you had lunch today? No. Did you have breakfast? No. You don't have any shoes? No. Would you like some? What? It's my money. No, it's his money. And I passed that test. No, 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 no that's not the point. The point isn't that I passed the test. That's irrelevant, right? I'm giving you an illustration. This happens. So if you begin, thanks. <laughs> that's great. I love the white jacket. So this issue of if there's more and more yeses, right, you become more and more committed. You're saying no to yourself more often. You'll hit a tipping point. And when you hit the tipping point, God invites you to do stage three. This is a primary reason why I'm here. Because there's many in this room who are sick and tired of stage two. Some of you need to make up your mind to start passing the test so you can get to stage three. Stage three is when you've had enough tests and you don't, you don't want to keep failing them. You do this to heaven. <laughs> I surrender. I give up. I don't want to live myself anymore. I'm messing my life up. It doesn't, you are better at this than I am, and you died for me, so why won't you take care of me while I'm still alive and help me live my life in ways which is filled with joy instead of wrecking my life the way I do? And you surrender to God, and you come to him and say, oh, man, I'm tired of doing my own thing, and from now on, I am yours. I surrender all. That's what happens here. Take a look at this passage. Stage number three is called sacrifice. You sacrifice yourself fully to God. The verse is clear. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, he's talking to Christians, by the mercies of God, that you do something. Notice he doesn't say, I command you to do this. You can't command a person that, that's a heart issue. I command you to love me. No, you can command me to obey you, 
but the heart's a different issue. You can do this if you want, but you're not commanded to do it. You're invited to do it if you want. I command you to, to give yourself to me, what's it say? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It should make sense to you to do this. So let's take a look at this. What's actually happening? He's saying stage number three is optional. You're invited to do this. The majority of Christians in America have never got even to stage three. They know nothing about stage four, and they never heard of stage five. Do you realize how sad that is? Oh, my. Let's go back to this. It's optional, often years after salvation, when you know something, you know God's mercies. You realize this is Romans 12. Romans 1 through 11 is all about all the things God has done for you. That's, he tells them and he tells them and he tells them and he tells them and he says, therefore, the high point of Romans is Romans 12.1. Therefore, because of the mercies I've spent 11 chapters telling you about, what do you want to do toward God? Do you want to surrender to him because he's this kind of God and he loves you these kinds of ways? He sent his only begotten son to die for you. And if you put your faith in him, he'll forgive you all your sins from your past, from your present, from your future. And he'll adopt you into his personal family. And he'll call you his brother. And he will bring you to heaven when you die. And he'll give you a brand new body just like his own body. And you'll have eternal life with him. And you'll live with God forever with him. And he's overseeing you because he's your father and you're his son. And all those things are reasons why. You, you read the first 11 chapters and you say, why would, why would I not want to do this? That's the reason. I was talking to a young man. And he was he's struggling. He said, you know, I just, I can't do this. I can't, I can't give myself to God. You can't. Do you want to? Yes, I do, but I can't get there. He said, do you know how to get there? And I said, this is quite a chair. That was a joke. <laughs> Are you there? Yeah. Okay. So I said to him, you want to get there? Yes. Name me some of the great things God's done for you. Name me five. Jesus died for me. Okay. I'm going to heaven. Okay. I'm sure there's more than that. I said, the reason you would do this is because of the mercies of God that he's done. And you can't get here, even though in your mind you want to get here, because you really don't have a heart filled with his mercies that you're overwhelmed and say, if this is what God has done for me, my goodness, I want more of it. Well, what should I do? I said, get a pad and go read Romans 1 through 11, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and Colossians 1 and 2. Just 15 chapters. It doesn't take you long. And every time you read something that God did for you, just write it out. And then come back next week and tell me what, show, show me what you wrote. He said, I can do that. Next week he comes with three pages, handwritten, of all the things that God has done that he got from those chapters. And I said, how was it? He said, oh man, I got so overwhelmed at what God has done for me that I couldn't stop. You couldn't stop what? I, I, I couldn't wait till I saw you. So I got on my knees and I gave myself as a living sacrifice myself. 
I said, oh, that's the whole idea. And when you understand, you'll come running to here. But how is God going to, how does this work? Because in the Old Testament, a person would bring a sheep to the priest and put on the altar and it would die. As a sacrifice means it died. If it hadn't died, it's not a, it's not a sacrifice. And the New Testament teaches you're to be a contradiction. You're to be a living dead. Living sacrifice is what? You're to die to yourself, yourself, and live to God. And you are to present yourself. It's a formal presentation, like when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus and they presented it to the priest when, they were eight, eight, when he was eight days old. That's a formal presentation to God. It's only I'm supposed to do it to myself. I'm not taking an animal to God. I'm lifting up myself to God. And I'm saying I'm dying to myself. I'm giving myself to you as a living sacrifice. That's a big deal to God. And the question is, how often am I supposed to do this? When you have a verb in the Greek language, the verb can be made so it means to do it all the time. Or it can be made so it's imperfect. It does, you do it occasionally. Or it can be changed a couple letters and it means do it once for all. Do you know what this one is? Most people think it's all the time. It's not. It's once. You do this once. Why do you do it once? Because when you come and you give yourself to God, the act is not toward you, it's toward him. And he receives your sacrifice once, and it's done. You finished it. Lady said to me, yeah, but I keep crawling off the altar. I said, I said ma'am, that's just an emotional day you're having. It's not how you feel. It's what God did when you gave yourself as a sacrifice because it says he accepts it as holy. It's not that you are perfect or holy. You may have sins in your life and probably still do. We all do have sins sometimes. But holy means to devote yourself to God. So God says, I view you as devoted to me. Therefore, you are holy. And you need to be more holy in your behavior. But you're holy and the most important part is, what's God feel about this? You know? When a person comes to God with themselves, I want to know, what does God think about that? He says, it's acceptable to God. It's actually the Greek word which means well-pleasing to God. So when some of you come in a few minutes and give yourself to God, God's in heaven receiving you and it's a done deal, and God is thrilled that you came. He's thrilled. Because up to that point, you've been unwilling to do that. You've wanted too much of you, and not enough of him. And it's holy and it's acceptable. Stage number four. When you're, when you're done with stage three, you think you're at the end. <laughs> At least I did. You think you're at stage five. You don't know about these stages because nobody talks about this because very few people understand it. So we think we're over here. We're not. We're at the midpoint. Salvation happens as an instant. 
and it's all of us saved. Then we go through a period of time that could last forever in a sense, and it's the parts of our life fighting. And if enough parts became yes, then we come here, and we give all of ourself. This is one time. It happens in an instant when you give it, it's done. Guess what happens? It's whole parts, whole, one time, a process, one time. Guess what happens here? The parts are dealt with now, but at a deeper level, and it's a process. And the last part is, he deals with the whole one more time, and you are done. That's the finish line. And after you're here, you have given permission to the Almighty God to work with you differently. You've said to him, I am surrendering myself to you completely. And it opens a door. And God begins, Jesus begins to calling you in a much deeper level than you've ever heard him talk to you or lead you ever before. And this is called becoming Christ's mature disciple. And it has conditions tied to it. Becoming saved means just to believe what somebody else did. Self means I choose God more and more yeses than no. I surrender myself. This one is if you want, if you want to go on, if anyone desires to go on, you can. But if you desire to go on with me, with Christ, you have to fulfill certain requirements. These are hard. This is difficult. Let me show you what I mean. Stage number four, servant is optional. You don't have to do this, but meets all the requirements to be Christ's mature disciple. Look what he says. Whoever doesn't bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Becoming a disciple isn't becoming a Christian. That's becoming converted. People are disciples of Christ before they are converted. A disciple means you follow the teachings of a rabbi. And you become a born-again disciple. And then an immature disciple. Then a sacrificial disciple. And this is when you really become a mature disciple, which is what Christ is offering anybody who desires to come after him. So then it goes on a little bit further. He called the people and his disciples, whoever desires to come after me. You have to deny yourself here more and more over five different areas. You can't be my disciple unless you do this. Whoa, that's an area. Well, you can't be my disciple unless you do this. That's denying yourself things that aren't sinful that Christ wants from us if you want to go on. Let's take a look at the next one. Point one, consecration. Stage four requires hating everyone in comparison to loving Christ. And the word hate in this verse is the literal Greek word for hate. Now great multitudes went with him. He turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not, say it for me, hate. That's jarring, isn't it? This has nothing to do about salvation, friends. This is about post-salvation, and you've got to be really along here. Hate his father, mother, wife, brothers, sisters, children, yes, and his own. He cannot be my disciple. It's a big-time requirement. It doesn't mean that you dislike them. It means in comparison to how much you love Christ, 
it looks like you don't really care about the people you used to love as number one. You put him above. He explains that in that verse beneath it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what is Christ is at the end of this first path. There's five paths. I don't have time to teach them to you. And this is about the path of people. You cannot be my disciple unless you hate everybody else in comparison to how much you love me and that you put me above everybody. And what happens on this road is God begins, Christ begins to ask you in a most unexpected time, would you give me your children to me? Will you give me your spouse? Will you say to me, no matter what you want, if you want to take my spouse early, it's okay with me. Whatever you want, it's okay with me. Then he asks you, what about this? I remember when he did this to me about me. And he said, um, so if I want you never again to teach or preach ever again, but that's what I want for you, is that okay with you? Whoa. Whoa. Yes. And then he went all the way to the bottom, all the way as deep as you can go. And he said, hey, if I want to take away your voice so you cannot speak ever again, if that's what I want for you, is that all right with you? Yes. Those are tests that are requirement that everybody has to go through if you go down the people path. Until the end, all that's left, because you've set aside everybody else except one person, Jesus. You made choices for him. And the second one I want you to see is it requires forsaking all to follow Christ unconditionally. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has. Whoa, you can't be my disciple. You can't. What does this mean? It doesn't mean to give away all that you have. That's a different Greek word. It means to release it, abandon it. So when Jesus called the disciples uh, and said, come follow me, they forsook their fishing boats and tackle. When he called Matthew, come follow me, Matthew forsook his tax job and came. But after the, res after the crucifixion, they were so discouraged, the guys came back and took their boats and went fishing again. It just means it's like this. And at the ser between service right here, we were talking back in the room about this is not forsaking, this is forsaking. So that if God calls on you to give some of your money to somebody or something, your answer is yes. And if he asks you to give away your most prized possession, the answer is yes. And if he goes further on and he asks you something really hard, give this person your car, because I have friends that this happened to them. Or sell your house 
and give all the money you built up in equity here. Another friend, God said, take your entire retirement. And he was in his 60s. Give it away. Why? By the time he asked this of you, you're three-quarters the way down that path. So you've learned a lot. And you actually believe, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. And you now know that to be true. Therefore, nothing really changed. You may feel that you changed the amount of money in your bank, but nothing did because he's been supplying whatever you needed all along. Just making sense. Yeah. I'm spending more time on this. So as you come down here further, you have to understand that it doesn't get easier before it gets, it gets harder, before it gets easier. And he wants complete consecration. Take a look at this last passage. Therefore, many of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, when they heard this, said, this that Jesus said is hard, saying, I don't understand it and I don't like it. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, does this offend you? And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Did they lose their salvation? Of course not. What did they do? They said, I don't want to do this anymore. This is as far as I want to go. And they actually went back and hit self again. These are optional things. And you can say it's enough and come back anytime you want. But if you want to go on, you got to meet the requirements. And he wants you to meet the requirements. Number five is the last one. Let me explain what this is, and then we'll wrap it up. You've been real patient with me today. Thank you. But this issue, when a slave was purchased, usually for a number of years, if at the end of the years the slave who's going to be set free, doesn't want to be free, but remain a slave of the owner. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, it says, if that slave loves his master and, and prospers under his household, then the slave, who is now free, can come before the judges and the master and say, I do not want to be free, even though I am free, I want to be a bond slave of you for the rest of my life, and I will serve you the rest of my life. And because the judges want everybody to know this is not a slave, this is a free man who is a bond servant, the Bible tells you what to do. You take the person's ear, you put it against a doorpost, and then they put a punch and punch this part of your ear so there's a big hole in it, and it never closes up. You're a bondservant from that point. You're free, but you have of your own free will have chosen. I don't, I don't want to be on my own. I want to serve you because I love you and you love me and this is the way life should be. When you grow through the five paths and you're finally at the end, there's nothing left important to you except Christ. You've made every person 
everything you own, every place you wanted. If he says move here, your answer is yes. It's Christ. And you found your life for the first time is right here. And so when you take a look at the New Testament, here's how the apostles talked about themselves. Stage five changes your entire life as you become Christ's bondservant. Look at how the guys started their books. James, a bondservant. Peter, a bondservant. Paul, a bondservant. Timothy, a bondservant. Jude, a bondservant. How did they view themselves? As a free man, totally sold out to God. Then look at this passage. When Paul says this, he says, We don't preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. By the time you get to the fifth stage, do you know how you view yourself? Hold on to this. You not only view yourself as his bondservant, you view yourself as everybody else's bondservant. If you need something, the answer is yes. That's who you are, not what you try to do. It's who you are. And the final thing I want you to see is what Philippians says about Jesus. Look at the last part, verse 7. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Who's Jesus a bondservant of? The Father. What did Jesus say? I only do that which pleases the Father. What I say is what I know he wants. I do his works. I've come to obey him. He was the Father's bondservant, so he's asking us to be his bondservant. Oh, my goodness. Just imagine living here. Whoa! Excuse me. That's how I feel about it. So, we're done, except for you. What do you want? Do you want to move? I think many of you do. I think that's why I ended up preaching longer here. I just sense there's some depth here that belonging. So, here's what I want. I want to invite you, if you've never accepted Christ, come stand over here in stage one, and I'll pray with you in a minute. If you're here, and you've been here a while, and you're sick of it, and you want to move to stage three, but you're not there yet, come here, and I'll I'll tell you what to do about that. If you are ready, and the tipping point is you, and you want to be a living sacrifice today, once and for all, come stand here. If you know this has already happened to you, if this hasn't happened, you're not in four. You're not invited to four unless you've gone through three. If you're here and you want to move further, faster in stage four, I'll tell you what to do. Quickly, actually, and stage number five will have a dedication. So what I want you to do is if you want, if you desire to come after Christ more, Come forward and stand where you are. It makes no difference where you are. What makes a difference is you want to go on. So come on up and stand where you belong and let me lead you in a prayer as we close. Come. Good to see many are coming. Come if you want. Makes no difference to anybody where you are. 
just come. Many people in the balcony are moving. done I sense there's a few more people there we go there we go that need to come want to come there we go many there we go anybody else Who's over here in stage number one? Good. The rest of you, don't bow your heads. Just stage number one, bow your head. And if you'll quietly pray this in your prayer, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for purchasing me. I believe you died to pay for my sins. And I accept you as my personal Savior. Thank you for the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen. And those of you that be somebody from the staff will be here. Maybe you can chat with at the end of the service. Stage number two. Raise your hand real quickly. Good. There's some people scattered all over the place. Okay, stage two. Look at me just for a minute. Aren't you sick of stage two? (laughs) I was sick of it when I was in it. Okay, make up your mind. How do you get out of it? You make a pre-commitment in which you say to yourself and to God, I commit to you that I will say yes for the next five tests. I'm going to pass five tests in a row, and you will leapfrog (laughs) and come right over here. So you pre-commit. Then no matter what he asks, the answer is yes. And take a little card and put five boxes on it. And every time you're tested and you say, yes, put X on it, and you got five in a row, you'll have moved a whole lot. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, these wonderful folks are here and want to move on. They're tired of struggling with you and losing the battle. They're tired of self. And those of you who are number two, just pray this in your heart. Lord, I'm sorry for fighting so long. I apologize. I hereby commit to you that I'm going to let you win five times in a row. Bring me to stage three. Get me out of this mess. In Jesus' name, amen. Stage number three. How many are here? Stage three. Sacrifice. Well, I don't know if you could do this stage three. This is a big deal in heaven. Next to salvation, this is a huge event. And when I did this, I knelt. So if you can and you want to, and you're stage three, just kneel. You don't need to, but if you want to, if you can find room for it. Okay, stage three, just bow your heads. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture the throne room of Almighty God. And the Bible says... 
Hebrews that there is an altar in the throne room of God. I want you to walk over and step outside of yourself and then pick yourself up in your arms and walk over and lay yourself on the altar before God and step back and then say the following to the Father. Lord, forgive me for taking so long to get here. But I'm so glad I'm here. I'm volunteering this. I'm not forced to do this. It's in response to your mercies. Therefore, in front of the angels, I offer to you myself. I give myself totally to you. No conditions. I am your living sacrifice. And you hear the Father say, Oh, this is wonderful, acceptable in my sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give them a big hand. Number three. Number four. Who's on number four? Stage four. Anybody else in stage four? All right, stage four. Uh, Look at me in the eye for a minute, stage four. This is hard. This takes many years. You can't speed this up. And you will weep numerous times when he asks you for hard things that are too important for you. I'm so glad you're on this process. Let's pray. Father, we just take stage four people who are desiring to follow in your footsteps and become totally committed. We're making choices of denying ourselves, of taking up our cross and follow you. Therefore, for every area that we're wrestling with, we pray for freedom. And Lord, bring each part of these people all the way to the end of all five paths so they can move into the last one. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give them a big hand. Stage, stage five people. Let me see your hands. Stage five people. Good. Anybody else? Okay. That means, that means you know a stage three happened to you. That means you did give yourself and your family people to the Lord. That means you've had to deal with money issues big time. And you had to give away some stuff that whatever he asked of you. And that if he said, I want you to move to Honduras or Africa, your answer would be, really? Yes. That's right. Yes. That no matter what he wanted, your answer would be yes. That's what it means. So if you're stage five, would you bow your heads with me? And I want you to picture yourself going into the throne room of God, and there's this big tree. There's numerous trees. And I want you to walk over and put your ear on the side of the big tree. And then let Jesus Christ come off the throne next to the Father with an awe in his hand and comes right over to you and says, I'm so glad you made it. You came all the way, just like me. And you look up and you notice to your shock, there's a hole in the, 
in the earlobe of Jesus. He's a bondservant, and he understands. And he takes that awe, and he puts it right through your ear, and he embraces you and says, I'm so glad you followed in my footsteps. You're a fellow bondservant. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give them a big hand. Pastor, come on up. Just stay here for a minute. What a special morning. Amen. Everybody stand with me, please. Oh, what a powerful, powerful word. I will never forget this weekend, the image, the journey. I want you to let Dr. Bruce know how much you appreciate that powerful word. Thank you, God.